you know, seeing that this substance was turning me into something that I wasn't. So I've always had these periods of, you know, trying to come back to myself and recover myself. TGIM Timari, this is episode 294. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Erin. Erin took her last drink on May 31st, 2019, and she is from New Hampshire. Also, I've recorded this three times because I can't seem to get the pronunciation right on New Hampshire, New Hamster, New Hampshire. (laughs) I'm just going to go with it, guys. And before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our RE team. A lot of people know me and Paul since we are the voice behind the microphone. But as I've mentioned in previous episodes, there are many people behind the scenes, not just on our team, but even Cafe RE members that volunteer their time and effort into making Recovery Elevator a better place. I truly do mean it at the end of every episode when I say together is always better. It takes a village and I'm continuously inspired by the people I get to interact with on a daily basis through Recovery Elevator. And if you're a listener, this shout out is for you too. You all play an important role in our community. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. I've been feeling very grateful lately. I shared with my Cafe Ari home group that my daughter just turned six. Although at some point a couple of years ago, I was very used to parenting while drinking, I have shifted to sober parenting. And while it was an adjustment to be fully present for every single tantrum and every hard motherhood moment, I wouldn't do it any other way now. I want to remember it all. I love birthdays and her birthday specifically makes me really look back. Life completely changes when you have a kid and she made me a mom. Her birthday's in September and September is also National Recovery Month. National Recovery Month is an observance that celebrates the millions of people in recovery from mental health and substance use issues. This is a big deal. We get a whole month. It's not just a day. Also, why does ice cream only get a day? Can we make it into National Ice Cream Month? Who can I bring this request to? (laughs) But seriously, part of my personal purpose is to shred the shame around recovery. Having really struggled with my eating disorder and later noticing how I would walk a similar addictive path with alcohol, it's become really clear to me that there's a lot of work to do here. I've been really happy to see more and more content being shared regarding recovery as well as more tools for people who need them. I've learned that most long-term decisions have to be rooted in a place of love versus in a place of fear. And I think a lot of the bad rep that recovery has stems from fears, fears of being rejected, fears of feeling less than, fears of not fitting in, fears of missing out, fear of not being quote unquote normal. And a question has been thrown out in my recovery network this week since National Recovery Month kicked off. The question is, what has recovery made possible for you? I love this question so much that I even started incorporating it in the rapid fire round for future episodes. So stay tuned for people responses. The reason why I love this question so much is that I think that this question helps us build a bridge from fear to love. 
It helps us to hear stories permeated in hope, possibilities, and abundance. As humans, we connect to stories. Our stories are powerful. Whether you share your story here on the podcast, at an AA meeting, or just sipping a cup of coffee with a friend, it matters. In sharing, we are able to change the trajectory of a person's life. That's some serious business, you guys. I know that my sobriety journey won't exempt my children or my family from having their own struggles. But in living in the solution, I can hopefully show them how to become advocates for themselves when it's their turn to save themselves from whatever curveball life throws at them. And recovery has made that possible for my family. The amount of gratitude I feel surrounding this decision is tangible at this point in my life. I really hope everyone listening can feel it too. The neat thing is that you find it in most ordinary moments versus the achievements that we're all chasing after. All right. Eso es todo. That's my weekly dose of rambles on RE for this episode. And before we hear from Aaron, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community. And you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Erin, welcome. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks, Odette. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for asking and thanks for meeting with me. And let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink, Erin? My sobriety date is April 1st, 2019. All right. So over a year now, how do you feel? I feel so incredibly grateful and, you know, in sort of disbelief. It's to where, you know, I have the little RE day counter and I still, you know, will check in with that maybe every month or two. And I'm somewhere around 488 days without a drop of alcohol. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy when you look at the counter and you're like, wow, that's a lot of days. That's a lot of times that I've chosen myself. So congrats, Erin. That's a huge accomplishment. And can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? I'm in New Hampshire right now. So my my family and I come here every summer and we live in Sedona, Arizona uh, the rest of the year. I'm a full-time mom. I'm married and I have two little babies, one and three. For fun, I am really getting to know myself in a new way. And of course, I have lots of fun every day with my children. I practice yoga as often as possible. I love um, learning to get more in my body since 
quitting drinking and more in touch with, you know, my body, mind, and spirit. So exercise has become uh, a much bigger, you know, enjoyable thing. It's also a great coping skill. Yeah. And you said, I'm getting to know my body now that I'm not drinking. And, and another thing that just looking at your kids' age, one and three, I mean, you're also getting to know yourself after having kids, which I mean, I know because I have my kids as well. It's such a process of coming back to yourself after having babies. And it's a it's a phase as well. So I feel like both of those, your year in sobriety and the first year of your youngest have been together, which I think maybe you should give yourself even twice the high fives and pats on the back. I know how that goes. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, it's a it's a point of, you know, like I said, I really huge gratitude and, and pride. And also, I feel like becoming a mother is, you know, that and, you know, we talk about all this cognitive dis dissonance and how, you know, we shift the energy about how we think of ourselves and our relationship to alcohol. Having kids shifted my self-love relationship. And I think that was really one of the many factors that helped kind of get me over the hump was loving, you know, loving them so much that I realized that I deserve that kind of care, too. Yes, they're a big part of your why. I love yeah. hearing that. They're a huge part of, of your purpose. So can you give listeners, Erin, a little background on your history with drinking? When did you start drinking? Has it always been a problem? When did you realize that you probably needed to pursue this path? So I first took a drink when I was only 14. And I, you know, I don't recall that first time being a major problem, but it was not long before, you know, I kept going back to experiment and it, and it did become a problem. You know, before 14, I definitely, I would say, grew up in a family with, you know, some alcoholic family structures and parents who were daily drinkers. And so just that, you know, enculturated sort of blindness to what alcohol actually is. So I associated it with, you know, a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I, I started at 14. I know I did some some partying in high school. I don't think it was a huge problem for me, but I definitely drank to, you know, making myself sick. And my parents separated when I was 17. So I know there was some rebellion there. And when I was 18, I went to the University of New Hampshire, which is a big party school. So I would say that's when, you know, the minute I got out from under the watchful eye of my family, it was off to the races for me and, and a problem ever since. Did you think you were just a partier or did you have thoughts of like, oh man, I drink a lot? You know, I've, I've heard others talk about this. It, it depends on what time of day you ask me, probably. I think a lot of times I glorified the self-destructiveness as, you know, I'm an artist. I'm just a, a wild fun college kid and this is fine to, to be, you know, just abusing my body terribly and not having any respect for my own safety even. Um, but, and that's what those around me were also doing. So I, I look back at how much the Sol is part of the culture and it was a very, very toxic environment for somebody who had a lot of whys to, to learn to cope with my sensitivities. So after college, what, what happened? It just progressed while you were 
far away from home? And were you able to function during college? Or talk to me a little bit about what happened during those years. Yeah, so actually, my second year of college is the first time. So I was only, I, I guess I was 18 or 19, was the first time I stopped drinking for a period. So I hadn't even turned the legal drinking age before I had a period of sobriety. So that sort of shows you right there. I took a temporary health leave from school and did this major cleanse and got off of all alcohol and smoking and um, the antidepressant that I had been taking and drinking with. So it was definitely a problem. Then I, I went back to school. And of course, not long after reentering that same culture, I just convinced myself that I could moderate and that I, I had, you know, done however many months and I was okay. So I did, I, I kept partying and I, I graduated, I still did well, but looking back, I can certainly see the progression and that, you know, four years plus of learning to binge drink did not stop when I graduated. So it, it became much less glamorous after leaving school. <laughs> did you uh, transition after college into a lifestyle that allowed you to maintain that frequency of binge drinking or walk me through what happened afterwards? I certainly did. And I've You know, I have some AA 12-step experience under my belt at this point, and you hear a lot about the, the geographic solution. Yes. So, you know, I won't go into every detail of my story, but I've lived all over the place. So I've, I've bounced around, and that's definitely part of my story. I, I moved to Florida after college for an artist residency and experienced such a level of isolation there, leaving my whole community and everything that I really turned hard to alcohol. I'd also left a boyfriend that I was still in love with and moved down there. And I was just, you know, it was, it's a really sad year to look mm -hmm. back on. And so, yeah, that was, that was basically a whole year of really digging in to, to binge drinking. And then again, I, I saw what that was doing to me. I moved back to New Hampshire after completing that residency and um, again, quit drinking for a while, started running, started hiking every day, you know, seeing that this, substance was turning me into something that I wasn't. So I've always had these periods of, you know, trying to come back to myself and recover myself. So let's see, I moved back, I reunited with my college boyfriend, and we got pretty serious. And of course, I, you know, a matter of months, and I started to think I could moderate. And sometimes that worked. And sometimes that didn't. My then fiance and I moved to Philadelphia in 2010. And I had, I had lost a, a stepdad to cancer right before that. And then my mom was diagnosed with cancer three mm -hmm. months after him. So again, you know, I just, I, I've had a lot of kind of chaos in my family life and, and all of these scary things with, with loss and illness. And I just moved down to Philadelphia with him and, you know, the drinking just kept progressing, just, just running from all of these feelings and not being able to be with myself. Um, to where I was working in the restaurant scene, I was blacking out a lot, you know, I was, I was unsafe and hurting myself in so many ways. What was your style of drinking? Like, did you do a lot of it on your own? Or I know you've mentioned you were in multiple relationships, depending on what chapter of your life you were. So were the people around you noticing that you drank a lot? Did, did anybody ever approach you about it while it was happening? Yes. Definitely. I mean, I also surrounded myself with heavy drinkers. So mm -hmm. that's a great way to, to ignore your problem. 
but yes, I had consequences all the way through. Like I said, before I was ever 21, it was, it was clearly a problem and I was just able to kind of tell myself it wasn't my now ex-husband. So we got married in 2010 and divorced by 2012. Definitely would, would talk to me about, you know, being out of control, getting in emotional fights and not even remembering them the next day. And so when I decided to separate from that marriage, I took myself to an AA meeting and I did, you know, I started, that was the first time that I had stopped and actually sought something to put back in that place. So that was, yeah, that was like 2011 or 2012 that I was first introduced to some 12 step stuff. And during all of that time, I relapsed from a previous illness with Lyme disease and that, you know, my world just kind of came crashing down. I, I, this marriage that I thought was going to work did not. And then I was very, very sick and I just really turned to drinking, you know, even though I was working with a naturopathic doctor and trying to heal myself from this terrible disease, I was still drinking daily. Uh, so I just couldn't, I just couldn't stay away from it. It was, I was in too much pain and it was the only solution that I knew of. You mentioned earlier that cognitive dissonance, and I'm sure that's what was happening um, at the time. And I, I'm really grateful that you brought up that you were struggling with something else. I thank you for sharing. I just wrote an interview a couple of days ago about an introduction, sorry, about co-occurring diseases and how a lot of the times, just like at the beginning of the interview, we were talking about motherhood and sobriety, a lot of the times it's not just the struggle with alcohol, but other things are also happening and that makes it so much harder, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was fighting Lyme disease for almost two years and I, you know, I was 27 years old around that time when it first, you know, I figured out that that's what I had. I got very sick very fast. I could hardly walk for a period of time. So I did a lot of self-medicating, um, a lot of growth through that time, and I did go to some more AA meetings, but still, I still drank through the majority of the time that I was trying to heal myself from the worst of that disease. During that time, I moved with my mom out to Sedona, and you know, I think the climate there probably helped some of those physical problems a little bit. I, I jumped into the AA community there uh, with both feet. And I was really committed to getting, you know, I started to see a light at the end of the tunnel of getting myself well and starting my life over. And that was, that was an amazing thing because I, I had this amazing community. I was learning about the disease and progression of alcoholism and then going home from, a, you know, I'd get up and go to a meeting in the morning. I'd go to my new job at a health retreat that I was learning all these amazing things and you know, getting my life back under my feet. And then I would go home from work and get drunk, you know, and, and that was really scary when this starts to sort of turn you into two people and you don't recognize who you are anymore. So that cognitive dissonance became very, very big for me. And, you know, I finally, I think I probably during over a year of regular 12-step work, I only ever had two or three months of, of actual sobriety. I was lying in meetings and, you know, it was just it was really hard. And so my story is, you know, so much lack of acceptance and, and thick denial. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
that it really wasn't until, you know, the experience of pregnancy and motherhood that I took an honest look at this, this relationship. It's extremely hard to accept the dark parts that we all have. And I'm really grateful. I'll say it again, that you're just sharing so honestly and genuinely, because this is the journey for many people. It's hard to talk about things that bring up guilt and shame, but the struggle is real and it happens. And I do, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of person. And I do believe that even though you didn't have as much time under your belt and you lied sometimes and you were struggling, I still think that that metric of like awareness and learning and progress, some, something was clicking each time, even though you were kind of in this cycle of the dissonance. But I like believing that those things are always also teaching us and preparing us for, I mean, look at you now. So tell me a little bit more about pregnancy and how the last few years just really helped you get here to where now something clicked and changed. Yeah. Walk me through this, these last couple of years. Okay. Yeah. I'm so incredibly grateful to be where I am today and, and also have all this humility of being able to see myself more realistically and, you know, that I'm on a path and I don't have to be perfect to have a purpose. So yeah, I was, you know, thank God I was able to stay sober during my pregnancies and so I had been drinking, you know, right up until I found out I was pregnant with my daughter in 2016 and immediately, you know, put everything down. And, and I was able to do that. I mean, of course, I had a lot of emotional highs and lows with the hormones of pregnancy and, you know, quitting alcohol at the same time. I definitely noticed, you know, more emotional eating, certainly during my first pregnancy. I gained a lot more weight. And so there, you know, there was still the addiction whack-a-mole thing that we talk about in this community. And when my daughter was probably three or four months old, again, I convinced myself, you know, other moms, oh, it's okay to have one or two drinks when you're nursing. And of course that quickly became, oh, well, I could probably have a third drink if I didn't nurse her for five hours, you know? So I could see, even though I'd never went back to, you know, some of the really serious binge drinking kind of dangerous behaviors, I could very quickly see when I allowed myself the denial thoughts about you can handle this, that that progression was going to pick right back up uh, where it left off. So I got pregnant with our second child when um, she was a year old. So went through, you know, my nine or 10 months of no drinking during pregnancy. And again, I think it was probably a month with our second baby. And I was back to, oh, I can have a glass of wine over at someone's house. And so that last night of having a few glasses of wine in May last year, you know, I'm sure they were, they had to have been bigger glasses of wine because I, I swear I had two glasses of wine and I woke up so sick in the middle of the night. Um, it's like my body just was absolutely shutting down to processing alcohol. And that was it. You know, I was laying there with this little baby in my room and shaking, trembling from just feeling sick mm. from this poison. And, and that was the last time that I had a drink. And I had just started listening to the RE podcast, you know, a couple of weeks before that. So I was already 
feeling that pull back to daily drinking and knowing that I needed help. And that that was just not an option with these two children to take care of that. It's not an option this time. You know, you gotta, you gotta look honestly at what this thing does to you. And so I stopped drinking and, you know, honestly, it hasn't, the emotions haven't been easy, but staying away from the physical substance has been pretty easy for me. And I want to say that that shift that this podcast helped me change something energetically was that, you know, Paul talked all about um, sort of the predatory marketing of alcohol and just all of the cultural influences, even to the extent that a doctor will prescribe a medication that shouldn't be mixed with alcohol. And then they tell you, you can drink anyway. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's just everywhere. And that here I had been going to these AA meetings and, you know, hi, I'm Aaron, I'm an alcoholic. I always felt so ashamed, you know, deep down under all of it, I was ashamed that I was an alcoholic. And what shifted for me is that this is a, this is an addictive substance, hands down. It doesn't matter who you are. If you learn to drink mass quantities of it, when your brain is still developing, you're going to become an alcoholic. (laughs) And especially if you have trauma that you're covering up. So I give myself a lot of empathy and forgiveness now for the depths that it took me to and shifting that mindset from, oh, I'm broken to, oh, I was actually predated upon sort of by this culture and I'm not broken and, you know, I'm here for a reason. So it's, it's been amazing. What a beautiful realization that you're able to like detach from all the factors and see everything through a different lens and then as a product now seeing yourself through a different lens because I don't know about you but I've had my periods days moments of victimhood where I'm like man I'm broken and why and I didn't want this and all these things and that also doesn't allow for self-confidence and self-worth so it sounds like you've also really realized that not only are you not broken, but that you are worth things working out and you are worth being, you said it earlier, cared for the way that you care for your kids and loved the way that you love your kids. And it's it's so cool, I think, what children do sometimes. They're such teachers without trying. And mm-hmm. I'm just so happy to hear you speak about your journey. And I mean, it hasn't been a journey of just this last year, you've been doing this for many, many years. And it's it's like, it's happening now. So this is this is really hopeful. And it makes me really happy to hear you. So thank you so much for sharing. And I really like that you mentioned that emotions don't necessarily get lighter, because they don't, I feel like we feel a little bit stronger, we're not numbing, we're not coping through a substance that alters So tell me what you do now when you have one of these tough emotions. How do you navigate those? Do they still turn into cravings or are you just like, oh, here we go? Yeah, I haven't had a lot of the physical craving thing, though. I did email you that day shortly after you asked me to come on the podcast. I had a I would I would say a traumatic medical event with our son. And and that night I really did. I I thought, boy, I would love to just drink a beer or something, you know, the actual action of that was something that sounded good for a minute. And of course, I played the tape forward and didn't do that. But overall, I, you know, I experienced very strong emotions. I am getting to know myself 
as what I call an HSP, a highly sensitive person. <laughs> I, and I didn't coin that. I forget the author, but you know, I've, I've done so much rampant podcast listening <laughs> because I am with these two kids all the time. You know, I haven't joined the Facebook group because honestly, I'm almost never looking at a screen. I'm just, you know, when I get these moments for community, it's always in an earbud. So I've listened to this podcast. I listened to Annie Grace, The Snaked Mind, Recovery Happy Hour. I listened to Dax Shepard. Love Mark him. Marin. I love him too. Mark Marin is also in recovery. So even these really fun podcasts that are like interview formats, lots of psychology talk. Alanis Morissette has a psychology podcast. It's incredible. So I've done so much self-learning. I took a Reiki class that my mom gave me for Christmas and that was totally life-changing for me. I learned to ground my energy. I've learned to start really realizing what an empath I am and how energetically sensitive I am to those around me that, you know, when I don't have this coping tool of alcohol to numb all of these really intense feelings sometimes, I've had to learn to be able to lean in and, and be uncomfortable sometimes and really learn the power of my breath. I do yoga with Adrienne for free on YouTube. So she's like my at-home yoga teacher. So I really tap into a lot of digital community because I don't really have the opportunity to be out there, you know, maybe going to a meeting with just other adults. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a busy time for sure. And it's going to be busy for the next couple of years. So I'm really glad that right. you're finding these other ways to connect. Did you did you go back to AA or did you just find these different modalities right now? I haven't gone back to AA and I've been actually feeling like there, there's specifically this women's meeting that, you know, I thought, oh boy, if I could get some childcare, I would definitely love to do that once a week. So I'm not closed off to it, but, you know, fortunately with all of these other tools and just realizing that there's this whole other, you know, sober culture that's sort of blooming out there. It's just been really exciting to feel a part of that. And I haven't even necessarily needed a meeting. Um, you know, and I recognize what an amazing resource that is. It's it's important, I think, that, like you said, it, there's a movement that's blooming. And I keep having this conversation in different contexts of, like, we need the menu of recovery to have many options. You know, it doesn't have to yeah. be one thing. It could be... And I also think that we shift throughout time. Maybe if your kids get older and you do get time to go to that meeting, I just think we're changing all the time. And it's it's good to have different tools. It's good to be open to new experiences. And it sounds like that's exactly what you've been doing. I mean, I'm sure two years ago, you never imagined you would be taking a Reiki class. <laughs> no, I didn't. And yeah, just, I guess some of the, just learning about how to harness and listen to my own energy and, and go a little deeper inside and listen, you know, to that, that idea that we're not just the thinker of our thoughts you know, our thoughts can tell us a lot, a lot of mixed up messages sometimes. And so learning to, to go deeper and listen and really honor who's inside has been pretty awesome opportunity. Yeah, you're, you're going back home to yourself, sounds like. And that's great. I mean, that's such a value bomb that I learned from Eckhart Tolle, like we, we are not our thoughts. And I'm like, wait a minute, 
all of these thousands conversations that I have in my mind every day, I don't have to buy into all of them. What a relief. <laughs> I'm not crazy. No. How has it been with your family and socially, like just from you shifting? How was the response? Did you did you feel comfortable telling people that you weren't drinking anymore? Tell me a little bit more about that. Overall, the response has been beautifully supportive. You know, like I said, I, I had some... Well, maybe I didn't say, but I definitely had some rock bottoms with my family that sent me to AA, you know, around 2014. So those closest to me knew I had a problem. It wasn't one of these things where people were like, oh, what? you know, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but that being said, you know, it's amazing that this culture part where I've had clear problems with alcohol at different periods of my life. And then there were people in my life who I'm, I'm sure wanted me to be able to go back to drinking moderately because there's this stigma. So, you know, like I hear on this podcast all the time, if somebody reacts negatively, it usually just tells me that I'm making them feel something about their own relationship with alcohol. Yes. Um, in my marriage, uh, my husband has also stopped drinking in support of me. So that was amazing. So we don't have any alcohol in our house and you know, I, I excitedly talked to him about this shift that I experienced about the predatory nature of the alcohol marketing and how it's all the same nonsense that they used to sell cigarettes to children. Um, and I also was a smoker for years. You know, I look back on that. I'm so sorry that I did that to my body. So he's he's totally on board and, you know, talks to his friends now about, you know, there's just there's a different way to think about it. And it's not a, a missing out thing it's totally empowering that there's this toxic thing that makes you feel like shit the next day and it's not essential to a happy life it actually is just like a weight around your ankle yeah it's very empowering I feel like at least for me wanting relief from the big feelings that you've been mentioning like wanting to run away from all of these things I I'm always like I just want relief somebody save me I can't do this and then when I don't drink I'm like wait a minute I can do this and that becomes so empowering over time just knowing and just talking about that cliche phrase of like we are so much more strong than we think and we we can do hard things and we can do this and and to your point about culture I mean it's it's crazy it is everywhere for me my dream my drinking started ramping up even more when my kids were your age because at least for me in my bubble I did realize that everyone around me was drinking everyone with young kids was drinking in order to find this relief of parenting which initially even though we all want our children or the ones of us who did want our children it's still extremely hard and frustrating at times so it's that amazingly hard at times. <laughs> so hard yeah I think it was last week's podcast that you said parenting can be really triggering and mm. um, I mean it's it's been such a humbling journey to just you know realize that none of us are perfect and you know this is a total tangent, but something that I have been thinking about a lot is like the inherit, the concept of inherited trauma, all this super interesting stuff that's coming out about epigenetics and how we switch off different things, switch on and off different things in our DNA, depending on our environment. And so 
really tapping into this sort of self discovery, you know, the motivation behind it is to figure my stuff out as fast as possible so that I'm not handing as much of this down to my children. Because I do have this lifelong history with depression and anxiety and I want to learn and model for them the, the best ways to to live a happy life. Yeah, and trust me, you're already doing that in taking care of yourself and they're going to learn all of these tools like slowing down and, and connecting to the breath. I mean, I, I learned that when I was much older than I probably should have learned it. So I I find a lot of courage knowing that we're teaching them, not necessarily maybe making it a lesson for them, but them seeing it in us. We're just modeling the behavior. And like you, I mean, I just really hope that they don't have to struggle. They're going to have their struggles, but I hope that we can lighten the load a little bit and and just let them know that they can they can do whatever they can deal with whatever life throws at them and they can do it and that they're strong enough but you are doing an amazing yeah. job at modeling that so congratulations thanks for I sharing this is a, um, also another tangent but i know you're a full-time mom and right now that's the busiest time of your life for the next couple of years probably but now that you are sober do you ever think about like the possibilities and what you'd like to do i know you mentioned earlier that like you're an artist like has your creativity started to spark a little bit and think of like oh i could do this do you find yourself more inspired so much so you know it's weird i don't know if this is alcoholism or just a separate thing but like join the human race that's how i feel that i i had this sense about me that i I don't know if it was worthlessness or just I'm so different than other people, you know, the terminal uniqueness. Um, and now I have this brand new feeling of like not needing to stand out. I, I don't feel this need for, for grandiosity, but I, I really am learning to love myself um, and think that I have a purpose. And I think part of that purpose is helping other really sensitive people who are, you know, maybe struggling with addiction. So the, the Reiki, well, when I did get back out into a professional life after Lyme disease, I was, I was working at a health retreat and then a health food store um, as a buyer. So getting into this energy healing and holistic healing world has been incremental for me. I definitely look forward to continuing the study of Reiki so I can start practicing and help people with healing and, and who knows from there. I, I could see myself writing on these subjects. I can see myself, you know, maybe coaching others, but I really do make talking about recovery part of my everyday life. It's something that I, I'll tell a, a mom that I just met at the park, you know, before we were in quarantine. So I, I feel like just putting this stuff out there without shame is a form of service. And I, I definitely want to do more of that. Yes, we're going to need you. A lot of people are struggling right now. And, and we're all part of the solution. And it starts with you sharing your story. So maybe, maybe in a few years, we'll get back together and do a Reiki webinar or a Reiki podcast, and you'll have to teach us all your ways. <laughs> Oh, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the just the introductory class was was amazing. And even for for folks who aren't interested in Reiki, I have to say, just 
you know, breathing and meditation, working on forgiveness of yourself and others, you know, has been huge for me to not be carrying around the resentments that are what lead us to drink. And and grounding, you know, as, as sort of woo-woo as it sounds, like learning the concept of visualization and, and the power of visualization to calm your mind um, is ha- a great way to get through those cravings or intense moments in sobriety is, you know, to actually feel your connection to the earth um, yeah. and your connection to all things, because we really are all one, you know, in, in one way or another. That is powerful. Just connecting back to the earth and and grounding yourself. It's so easy to get stuck in our heads. That was that was a great value bomb there. So thank you for sharing. And we've reached the rapid fire round, Erin. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabulous. Are you ready? Yes. If you could talk to younger Erin, close to day one, a long time ago, what would you say to her? I would say you're enough, honey. Hmm. And take good care of yourself because you're going to go far. What is a light bulb moment you've had during this journey? That I'm okay, you know, in this moment, just who I am. And and I have a purpose for why I'm here. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Do you like sweets? I um, have a major problem with chocolate ice cream. (laughs) It's it's an addiction whack-a-mole issue that we joke about in our household. (laughs) Uh, we love ice cream here. So I'm with you on that one. Chocolate. <laughs> what are some I of love your, chocolate. I love chocolate too. What are some of your favorite resources in recovery? Um, yeah, the, the podcasts have been huge. Uh, yoga is yoga and meditation. I don't know if it, this is an AA term also, but the miracle morning idea, you know, is a game changer for me to get up and, and have an intention for my day and, and take quiet time. And then, of course, you know, enjoying not being hung over at that time, doing yoga at 430 instead of hugging the toilet. Lots of lots of yoga, hiking, um, getting outside with my kids. Right now we've been gardening and blueberry picking That's awesome. What parting piece of guidance can you give listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Just do it. Just just try it and give yourself enough time to give it a real try because you're worth it. Before we depart, give listeners your own. You may have to say adios to booze if line. You may have to say adios to booze if you don't recognize yourself anymore. Powerful one, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for taking a break from the busyness with the kiddos. And I can't wait to share this with all of our listeners. Thank you so much, Odette. And thank you for taking over the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. We'll be in touch. That's a wrap, Team RE. Thanks for listening. And before I say adios, I want to give you a little challenge. Give yourself a few minutes to look back on your journey. No matter how long you've been in this journey for, just look back and ask yourself the question, what has recovery made possible for you? If you can, write it down. If you can, read it often. I even suggest you write down things that you want to be made possible in your life. You are worthy of all of those things and staying on this course will most definitely get you a step closer to them. Trust and believe, guys. Also, staying on the note of recovery month, I want to close this episode by sharing the National Suicide Lifeline. We are not doctors here at Recovery Elevator, and it's important for us to share resources as this one. 
So if you need urgent help, if you're having suicidal thoughts, please call 1-800-273-8255. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, this journey is not always easy, but it's always worth it and I promise you it's possible. I'm here for you all. Talk to you next Monday. Thank you.